Welcome to the third hour, a Latter-day Saint home study podcast. This season, we're discussing the Book of Mormon, another testament of Jesus Christ. Our goals? To improve our appreciation of the gospel, to investigate the scriptures more thoroughly, to discuss tricky passages, and to build our faith. In short, to feast upon the words of Christ. Some of our talking points will be familiar. Other ideas may sound new. That's okay. Together, we'll learn something new about the Book of Mormon, no matter our starting level. Welcome again to the Third Hour Podcast. We're glad to have you. Welcome to episode 48 of the Third Hour Podcast. Wow. The end, part three. <gasps> the end. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Is that a palindrome? I'm your host, Taylor. Amanda. I'm Andrew. I'm Ryan. Ryan, you want to give us a synopsis of Moroni chapter 10? And and the whole season or just chapter 10? Uh, up to you. Okay. <clears throat> Moroni wraps up his contributions to the Book of Mormon with a promise to those who read it, a chat about spiritual gifts, and another exhortation to come unto Christ and be perfect in him. Among other great gospel tips, we are in for a treat on this, the final episode of season two of the Third Hour Podcast. It is exciting. Whoa. <laughs> Woo. <laughs> so I feel like this whole episode is going to be kind of impression-y. Will anyone be terribly offended if I skip impressions? Are you asking no. us or our listeners? I'm asking you. Well, I'd like no. to hear what the listeners have to say. <laughs> To me, this this chapter sort of it wraps up on this note about uh, belief and faith and how that's gained, and specifically how we can know it about the scriptures. Right? I mean, there's the famous uh, Moroni's promise: if we want to know the truth of the Book of Mormon, we can pray, and he promises that through the Holy Ghost we can receive an answer. Yeah. Um, but around that scripture is this larger discussion of um, the role of faith, uh, the the fact that um, we need faith to be able to do God's works. The promise that as long as we have faith, we'll be able to continue to do God's works. Um, and then this sort of challenge at the end to use that faith to come to Christ and be perfected in him. So as we kind of wrap up our uh, second season here, I wanted to have a discussion kind of about these topics that I think Moroni is hitting on. And, and I think it'll give us a chance to share some impressions uh, about uh, what we've learned about the Book of Mormon as we've gone forward. So you ready for the questions I want to ask? Yeah. I'm going to ask them. I'm going to list them this time on purpose <laughs> so that you know where I'm going. Okay. And we'll come back to them one at a time. Okay. So the first question I want to ask is, what does it mean to you to build and maintain faith? One. Two, what does it mean to you to cast out doubt and unbelief? Three, um, how has this season impacted your belief in the Book of Mormon's claims and what you think those claims are? And four, has this season changed the way you will approach sacred writings? So that first question, I, I think, is really relevant to these ch passages, and I really think to Moroni in general. I mean, he talks a lot about faith. Um, so, um, but faith is one of these things that I think it can mean a lot of things. Um, what does it mean to you to build faith? Can I go first? Yes. So when I was at youth and I read these chapters, they made me like anxious. They made me feel like I wanted to build walls around my brain so that I wouldn't think about, I don't know, whatever the un scary unbelief stuff is that makes it so I can't have the gifts of the Holy Ghost. Oh. Um, but as I've studied these more carefully and also just matured, I think, um, that that approach to faith has completely fallen apart. Um, and 
my understanding of faith now is much less about belief in a certain set of like axioms <laughs> and much more about my belief that through Christ I can come ultimately to a knowledge of the truth. I can be pointed towards a knowledge of the truth. I can have a life that points others towards a knowledge of the truth, even if I never get to the right axioms in this life. Um, so faith to me is a lot less now about a sp specific set of things that I believe or believing that when I open my mouth, you know, the gift of the Spirit is going to be that God tells me exactly what to say. And it's much more just about the hope that Christ can work through me to do to do good. That's great. So is there an, another way to ask that first question is what does it mean to you to exercise your faith? Sure. In a previous episode, we talked about at least one thing that I got from it is that one, one way that we can gain more knowledge is going out and doing and, and experiencing at putting, putting those principles, those precepts into action testing them out and then coming back and reading these sacred writings again, the, the scriptures and seeing if your understanding has changed. And I feel like that is a process that I try to take because I feel like I learned something. I, I think I know something and then I'll, I'll have a totally new experience that adds some nuance to whatever gospel principle. And, and I have faith that, that builds my faith into knowing that I'm going to be able to learn more and hopefully become more, hopefully mature farther in this gospel, become more mature. Yeah, I like that. And I actually feel like that ties in with, um, you know, thinking about how you mentioned that sometimes you come back and your understanding of something has changed, has become more nuanced. And I really feel that about the spiritual gifts that are listed here by Moroni, Whereas um, I generally, I used to think of them as almost ways of becoming like infallible. <laughs> like you get the gift of teaching as a, uh, the spiritual gift of teaching, then you're going to teach nothing but true things. You get this, the spiritual gift of prophesying, you're going to prophesy nothing but true things. Um, whereas I think my own personal experience has been that um, those gifts are really about pointing me in a certain direction, helping me move a certain way, and less about infallible statements of reality. Yeah, the way you described this, uh, I'm picturing like a video game. Once you mm -hmm. get the power, boom, you got it. <laughs> right. You, you reach level ten on. Yeah. Bra, bra, bra. <laughs> that is kind of how take I out the boss. <laughs> that is kind of how I used to think about spiritual gifts, and I would like try to force myself to believe hard enough so I could get to level ten. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. So I think that's actually related to the second question, which is how we understand doubt. And I've been kind of wanting to have a discussion about doubt, and this is my last chance, so I found a way to work it in. Nice. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> so I, and I feel like um, culturally we think about doubt kind of the way I was just describing. I mean, I'm being facetious, but I don't think it's actually that far from the way we approach belief a lot of times, where we're really frightened of things that um, call our set of axioms into question. Um, and we call anything that makes us question certain truth claims, we call that doubt. And I actually think that's a terrible... Stupid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> inaccurate. <laughs> I think it's not terribly inaccurate for like the dictionary definition of doubt, but if we're really going to say that we can't do that, I think that's absurd. Yeah. I mean, how does anyone find truth if they're not able to question the truth that they think they already hold? Um, and so I think... For the reason I wanted to kind of ask this question, how do you understand doubt, um, 
let me ask it a different way, actually. Maybe that's more provocative. Um, so we're often told that doubt and faith cannot coexist. And uh, there are several scriptures that tell us to avoid doubt. And in this chapter, I think we could I've seen this chapter interpreted in sort of those same ways where um, doubt is the thing that comes along and makes it so God can no longer work through the world. So the fact that some people are questioning the existence of God, some people are questioning uh, the truth claims of the Book of Mormon, this somehow makes it so that God can no longer work because we don't have sufficient faith anymore. That's one way I've seen this interpreted. Hmm. But we've talked a lot in this podcast about uh, the necessity of doubt, and and many of us have expressed that we really value and even treasure doubt. Um, so I wanted to try to flesh that out. How do we understand this? Is there a kind of doubt that we are supposed to avoid? If we're more careful with our definitions, can we make some sense of this? Or do we really, on this podcast, just have a fundamental disagreement with what the scriptures have to say about doubt? Number one, it's okay to doubt. Yes. Well, and this is... I think that Taylor's point about definitions is probably very apt and useful that I think that there are a bunch of different definitions of doubt. Like there were probably a bunch of different definitions of charity, at least seven. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to decide how exactly to go about defending it. So, I mean, there's the, there's the temptation for me to just, argue it philologically like the 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 meaning of the word doubt you may remember that we <laughs> criticize c.s lewis's four loves as having left out Lu ludus uh, pragma <laughs> and oh philautia <laughs> well and um, i think that's so funny for a conversation of faith and doubt because i don't think they're opposites but i think we like taylor was talking about we cast them in that way because obviously you want faith, so then obviously you don't want doubt because it's the opposite, but it's not an opposite. Yeah, and, and I one of the reasons I bring this up is not, it's not just us that cast it that way. The scriptures cast it that way, right? There are scriptures that tell us not to doubt. Can you name a scripture on that, Baylor? <laughs> uh, no, he doesn't have scriptures in front of him. <laughs> so in James chapter 1, verse 6, <laughs> uh let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. Um, so that waver is one of the words in Greek for doubt. But the what's interesting is that Greek has multiple words for doubt, which is why I think about this a little bit philologically. Um, that that word distatio doesn't really just mean doubt. It doesn't mean to question. It means to vacillate between positions. It can even actually mean um, overly rooted in one's oh, position. Overly oh. rooted. Wow. I, I, I feel like you brought this up last time, last season. That sounds familiar. Well, to me, it, it's important that the, it's a contronym, that when we talk about doubt, that one of the main words that we read the word doubt in the New Testament, and it tells us don't doubt. It's actually saying don't waver or don't be too firm. It's, ac it's actually an argument that, that to be stuck in an opinion, whether you're refusing to change an opinion or whether you're changing your opinion too much, that those are both forms of unsustainable doubt. Oh, I forking love that. 
And, and one of the reasons I think that's important is because you can see how both of those are totally inhibitive of, of growth. Mm-hmm. Um, totally. To, to me, what is faith? Faith is the willingness to change. I, I, I generally think of the gospel as change. Um, to me, that's the miracle of the atonement. That's the miracle of what Christ taught, that it changes us personally. It changes societies. It even changes people who aren't in the gospel. Um, you know, one of the things that is, is a little frustrating, I think, is when people who are, we're in a society with and we look at them and we say, well, they're not Christian, but they're living in a society that has been so molded by the teachings of Jesus that basically people are trying to love one another. Um, it's written in, into law in many ways. Now, I'm not saying we're a, an oppressive Christian Gilead type society. I'm just saying that, <laughs> that, that the good essence of what Jesus taught, we can see it all around us, even in people who are non-believers. Some of the most caring people you'll meet, I feel, are secular humanists who feel that because there's no afterlife, all meaning has to be derived by how much you improve the world. That's that in many ways is a Christ-like teaching. Yeah. Uh, to instead of waiting, dreaming of something in the future, you get to work now that that kingdom is in two places. So to think about doubt, I think it's not useful to just think of it as questioning. Um, it's better to think of it as wavering or being too firm that, that both of those are, are, are inhibitions to our ability to look at a question and ask that question and seek an answer. Yeah. And I, I really love that in, in the context of a discussion of faith, because, um, I feel like it's my faith that makes me, it's my faith that allows me to inhabit that middle ground because my faith, uh, gives me hope that the direction I'm going has enough value that it's worth uh, it's worth continuing to pursue. It's worth wrestling. It's worth trying to figure out um, where I'm going. But the faith also gives me the hope that through similar prayerful, thoughtful uh, study, I might change the direction I'm going, and that change might be a good thing. I, I feel like faith is what allows me to have a direction in life that is both consistent enough to bring me somewhere and fluid enough to bring me somewhere useful. And, and even cause that, that's all based off what you want. And I hope it gets to a point where you start thinking, okay, hopefully God is going to maybe take me places. I don't, I didn't, haven't even thought about before that fluid faith, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's, I mean, that's what I'm hoping for in this. That's what my faith is in that God really can do that. Um, but I feel like, as Andrew's pointing out, if retreating into rigid certainty or uh, the opposite, like wavering, I can't know anything, therefore I'm not going to do anything, they don't allow me to be guided. Neither of those allow me to be guided by God. See, and I think that's that's one thing that I wanted to say as far as this question number two and, and what you've been talking about is what what is the motivation? And, and if you're, if you believe in God, that totally changes that question. But one thing you mentioned is what if you don't believe in God? What if you doubt there is a God? It's still, then it, then it still comes back to what is your motivation? Are you, do you want to know if there's a God? Does that, is that important to you? Why is it important to you? Well, one thing I think is crucial in that definition 
is that Distazo doesn't just describe, um, it, it describes a certain type of non-willingness. So the, the root of the word um, actually comes from, uh, so dice stazo. So dice as in two and stazo as in like your stance, your stasis. So figuratively, it's meant to evoke that you're standing at a crossroads. You have two ways to go and you aren't choosing a direction. And that can either be because you refuse to pick a direction or it can be because you are so unsure of which way to go that you just keep, do I go left? Do I go right? Do I go left? Do I right? You waver. I feel like the important thing in study and, and in matters of faith is that you have to look down the path and at least try to do something good. Yeah. Um, whether you're refusing to move or you're so paralyzed by your options, the result is that you don't act. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel it's tremendously unfortunate in the church when we portray doubt as something that should not be acted upon when doubt should be acted upon. It should be investigated. You should ask questions. You should try to act upon them. And yes, there are better and worse ways to act upon those doubts, <laughs> but you should be trying to resolve things that are confusing. Um, I, I feel that that's actually very in line with yeah. what Jesus asks us to do. Jesus asks us to doubt the natural man. Jesus asked the Pharisees and the people who were the Hebrews living in his day to doubt the way they were applying the law. He was not asking them to have direct faith in all of their traditions. He was asking them to change their mind. And, and in so doing, he was inviting them to act, like you're saying. I think that's a really important aspect of it. And uh, I, I, one way I like to think about doubt is as, as faith is to believe, so doubt is to uncertainty. In other words, um, you know, we, we think of belief, we think of faith as belief that we've turned into some kind of action. And I think the kind of doubt that we need to avoid, the kind of doubt that, that we should cast out is the kind of doubt that stops us from taking action. Nice. Listeners, I think you all should go on the Facebooks or on the website, and I want all votes on if Andrew should do like a an NRSV version of the Book of Mormon with cool <laughs> definitions like, how do you say it again? Just gestout. What is it again? Deistazo. Deistazo. It sounds real German when you uh, say it. Jawohl. Maybe it's because I'm German. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, I think that right there, there's that definition. And also like when we talked about last season, be thou maturing. It's good stuff. So I want to bring this then to the text in front of us, the Book of Mormon, and not just Moroni 10, but I think it's very relevant to Moroni 10 because of the promise here. How how have you brought this positive kind of doubt to bear in your study of the Book of Mormon this year, and how has that changed the way you understand the Book of Mormon? Mm. So listeners, quick story. We actually, when we started this season, we had an episode that went like, 12 minutes. I can't remember how long it was, but we, we're still trying to figure out how to go at this. And when I say we, I think I'm mostly talking about me <laughs> because talking about the Book of Mormon the way we have this season, it still has made me uncomfortable because there is that level of, of doubt and, and, and uh, interpreting that doubt the way that we've just talked about, we don't want to do 
that we don't want to look at any any time you question uh, anything. That, oh, 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 be thou not doubtful or whatever it is. And and we actually stopped that. Partially, that was my fault. And I've really enjoyed wrestling. See, even now, I still I still don't want to say I doubt the Book of Mormon. I like to to wrestle with it and think about it and and challenge my beliefs. So this season has really uh, enhanced my feelings towards this book of scripture and what it can do for me, what it can do for my family, and combined with with all the other scriptures we have. I mean, there's you've heard it before over over general conference and the pulpit, but these scriptures are so rad, and we should be just feasting on all of them. Yeah, I like that story that you tell, Ryan, because I think. Um... One of the one of the reasons I really wanted to talk about doubt is because I feel like the way we apply that um, has made certain conversations really frightening. <laughs> like talking about seeing Joseph in the Book of Mormon. What do we do with the fact that Isaiah is quoted and current scholarship suggests that this particular quotation from Isaiah happened after Lehi left Jerusalem? See episode, I don't remember what number. <laughs> See the episode entitled Three Isaiahs. Yeah. The name. And uh, for me, wrestling with those things, exploring those things, questioning those things, like Andrew was saying, and, and the way we often use the word doubt, doubting those things, um, it tends to, I, I find that it brings me closer to Christ. I find that in engaging with the Book of Mormon as it is and not trying to see it as I wish it was, enables me to really engage with the people behind it. And it enables me to really think about where it's pointing me. And I think ultimately it does, it, it makes the book more powerful. Um, it's kind of counterintuitive because in some ways it does bring it down to earth. Um, it's not, it doesn't, it's not up on this pedestal anymore, but in, in a lot of ways that makes it more useful to me. Amen. That's, Oh, Amanda's gonna go. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Did I make a noise? I didn't think I made a noise. You breathe in. Oh, yeah, you, I pronounced um, inhale. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even realize I'd done it. One of the things that I really appreciated about the definition that Andrew pulled out was just like, and it was just awesome. I love it so much. That was great. I might actually listen to a portion of one of our episodes to make sure I caught all that. Oh. Um, ah. Which will be the first time. It will time. be the first time. <laughs> it will yeah. be. Um, Ooh, we got her. <laughs> now, I have quoted you about other things before and said, I could get this right, but that would involve listening to one of the episodes. So <laughs> I'll give you a reference. Um, the concept of doubt as being rooted and like standing still because there has to be a certain amount of faith and belief to accept to listen to alternative opinions and that if your belief in something is so fragile that to be confronted with new information or someone else's opinion would break it, then that's the kind of rootedness I see um, that I think of when Andrew was talking about that definition. And in and amongst just all like the little things that have made this study of the Book of Mormon so fun this year that I think 
lots of my understanding and belief and approach to the Book of Mormon was not fragile, but was simple. Because we so often just deal with the, this is why we talk about war chapters, and then we'll just speed through them instead of dealing with any of the ugly stuff. Even though I totally did that last week, I just <laughs> skipped this, <laughs> skipped the awful chapter. Like, nope, 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 nope. Um, but that instead of giving it the time and care, or my best effort at the same time and care and attention that we give to the New Testament. And being open to the New Testament, meaning 17 different things that we say, well, that's just because Christ was such a great teacher and that's fine and blah, blah, blah. And like, well, why, why can't the Book of Mormon mean 17 different contradictory things? Why do we have to take this story, this story literally? Why can't it be? Sure, it could be literal, but it could also be a metaphor. And like, how can I apply that metaphor to me and to my neighbor and to me again? And um, so the irony in having, in questioning, in approaching the Book of Mormon as the same kind of flawed, open to interpretation sort of document that we are comfortable with doing for the Old and New Testament has been, like you were saying, Taylor, kind of like been counterintuitively great for like the depth of my understanding and connection to it. That because it has been challenged, my roots are the healthy kind of roots and not the, I've never really thought about that. And I'm not going to think about that fragile kind of roots. Mm, nice. Can I ask I a follow-up so. question? Sure. Don't know if I'll be able to answer it. I'm not sure if I remember what I said, but... Has has that experience uh, motivated any particular action? Yes. Would you feel comfortable sharing? No. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. So I, I really love what you're saying, Amanda. And I feel like it kind of brings us to the last question that I wanted to ask, which is, how is this going to affect the way you read scripture in the future? And I think one of the things that I am experiencing, I wouldn't say I've experienced it yet. Um, and I, I've chatted with Andrew about this um, offline. So I'm borrowing some of his uh, verbiage here, but I, I feel like in some ways I'm discovering a new simplicity behind the complexity that you're talking about where suddenly the book of Mormon it's complex. I see lots of voices in it. And we talked last week for me, I really feel like I see Joseph's voice in Moroni eight. Um, there's other places in the book of Mormon. I really feel like I see it, uh, in some ways that makes it more complicated, but against the sort of backdrop of this mess that, uh, gets created when I allow myself to engage with these questions, I allow myself to, to really get in and wrestle. What starts to emerge for me is like, God doesn't care about the mess as much as I thought he did. Hmm. He's not that worried about whether I get the right axioms, whether I can cite the correct list of attributes that he has. He's much more worried about how I treat my neighbor. He's much more worried about the inequality in my society 
and the fact that I surround myself with things that have no life, as Moroni said, <laughs> such that the, the, the poor can pass me by and I don't even notice them. Not only do I not help them, I don't even notice them. <clears throat> and yeah, there's all these complications. And when it comes down to like, what is the Book of Mormon saying about these specific doctrines? There's difficult stuff there. And I think it's worth wrestling. And I think uh, as I wrestle, I find that that points me towards action. But at the same time, I feel like the resonant and very clear message of the Book of Mormon and the New Testament is love your neighbor and feed the hungry and clothe the naked. And if you're spending more effort and resources to adorn your churches, as good as churches are, if you're spending more resources to adorn your churches than you are to clothe the hungry, reevaluate. <laughs> Sorry, clothe the, clothe the naked. <laughs> it is late. You should clothe the hungry too, I guess. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I just I, with food. I, I'm talking too long here, but I, I just feel like in, in that wrestle, while there is a lot of complexity that I haven't been able to resolve, there are some simple messages that have risen out of and transcended the the complexity um, that are driving me to make very concrete choices in my life. And so I guess when we talk about how, how has this season changed the way I'm going to read scripture, I, I think I'm going to look more for that. I'm going to ask myself more often, how is my how are my actions going to change because of this? And I'm going to look more actively for Christ to help me to see how I should change in spite of the messiness. And I think that's the way in which I expect his grace to be sufficient in, in spite of the difficulty of the text. Did I ramble too long or did that make sense? Made sense. Yeah, I liked it. Any additional thoughts before we wrap up season two? Yes. It's taken a whole season to go through. I think there have been, especially on this season, many episodes where people have probably been left hanging <laughs> and like <laughs> not with any resolutions or, you know, what, what does Andrew think of the Book of Mormon? Who knows? <laughs> um, if you don't know his opinion at this point, you haven't been paying attention. Uh, oh boy! But I think this this entire season has been a really good example. I mean, even it, it could take longer than a season to figure things out, and there there could be seasons of belief and seasons of doubt, and. Yeah, just just keep plugging away. I think we already talked about it. It kind of boils down. What's your motivation? What what are you hoping to get out of it? Don't get just don't get stuck. Try to be moving forward, and it's going to take time. And and not only for yourself, but if you can apply that to other people as well, I think that is really going to help everyone in the long run be able to help each other. Yeah, I, I really like that in, in context, too, of, of Moroni 10, of this promise that Moroni gives us at the end, that by the power of the Holy Ghost, we can know, and, and I like the way it's phrased, not if the Book of Mormon is true, but we can know the truth of these things that he's written. Yeah. And um, I feel like that, we, we tend to think of that as this one-time knowledge, this sort of foundation that we'll put our roots into and we'll never think again. <laughs> but but I, 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 I I like the way you're describing it as this process. And I think knowing the truth of the Book of Mormon is a process. Mm -hmm. we, we come to, first, do we believe that it's valuable? Do we believe that it ex expresses God's Word? But then what do we mean by that? What do we mean by a, being an expression of God's Word? What do we think it's actually saying about Christ? There's just 
a lot of there's a long process that can be involved in really coming to know for ourselves the truth of the Book of Mormon. And I feel very much like I'm in that process and like I've received guidance in that process. Um, but I don't feel like that process is complete. And I don't mm. think it's, I don't know that it's really even supposed to be. Nice. So in my prep for this today, I had completely and totally forgotten that I had made a list of things that I wanted to get out of this year oh. um, that I had made my podcast like goals. Yeah. Let's that's better than the word I was thinking. Okay. Um, and I went back and I looked at the list and I was real irritated because for lack of a better phrase, none of them came true. Ah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, and despite the fact that I put significantly work into season, significantly more work into season number two than I put into season number one, which was a very low bar, um, but still progress. Um, I'm not the one who edits or does the website. I just turn up and complain when we go past 10 o'clock. Um, <laughs> But then I was irritated and so just tried not to think about it. And then how when you're trying not to think about something, it's the only thing you can think about. Um, so I spent my afternoon mulling on it and like, well, what could I have done for this thing to, again, apologies, come true? Um, and then something would roam across my mind that was absolutely an answer to that question and or that thing that I had wanted, but was absolutely not the way I had conceptualized the answer or the thing I had wanted. Um, but one of the things that I had on my list was to just to get that reaffirmation of the testimony of my testimony of the Book of Mormon. And you kind of only, that can only really happen one way, that that only looks like one thing. Um, but the testimony that I ended up with at the end of this, the, re, the reaffirmation that I got was not of the truthfulness of the book in the traditional way that we think of it, but was absolutely in the way that Taylor and Ryan were just talking about in the truth in the book and the good in the book, but not of the book. So I could not at this moment genuinely say to you that I have that let me stand up in sacrament meeting and talk about a testimony of the Book of Mormon, but I have a testimony of principles in the book and testimony of a much deeper and profounder testimony of the power of scripture and of it as a method of communication with Heavenly Father. And so all of these wonderful things in the Book of Mormon, but not of the Book of Mormon, which is super not what I, how you think that story, how you think that's going to shake out in the end. But I feel really good about what I ended up with, even though there are lots of people that if I, when they hear, I'm not sure I have a testimony of the Book of Mormon, I'm going to get some phone calls, some follow-up phone calls. 
Nice. Yeah, which I think is interesting since our faith is supposed to be in Christ. But we do have this way of talking about as though we need to have faith in the Book of Mormon. Well, I have faith in it. I just don't. It's just that real complicated linguistic distinction in and of. You would you would make such a great Catholic, Amanda. <laughs> they love to talk about that kind of thing. Uh, I'd be a great Catholic, but I wouldn't be a very good nun. And if I well, belo- if I belonged yeah. to any religion that did not have a lay clergy, I would be a professional. But uh, that's true. You would be a you'd be a really bad nun. Yeah. <laughs> or would you be the best nun? <laughs> Not the nun they wanted, the nun they needed. So can I ask a follow-up question, Amanda? <laughs> sure. I'm not going to answer this one either, but you can ask. So you, you mentioned that you, you have this, this testimony of the, of the power of Scripture, including the Book of Mormon, to be a way in which God communicates with you. Did I get that right? You did, yes. So why doesn't that for you constitute a testimony of the Book of Mormon? Isn't that all you really need to know about it? Not in my head. Do you care to elaborate? I don't know if I can. Like, I don't know if it's a thing that I can put into words properly. Because, um, like, I do have I have a testimony of it as scripture, and I have a testimony of it as translation. And, like, so, like, I don't believe it. And so, like, every time you bring up, I think that was just Joseph, I still get heartburn, which I'm super grateful for at 1130 at night. Thanks for that. (laughs) Um, That's just how, and, like, I don't know what the piece of whatever is that I'm missing to draw that distinction. Um, But in both my head and my spirit, there is a, like, I... If I were to say the words, I have like this, like, and I can't even like say it in hypothetical because it doesn't taste true on my tongue. And I don't know why. Hmm. I I actually really appreciate you sharing that, Amanda. I, I, I love that. Um, I, I, to me, this is, this is how my faith is coming to be expressed. It's that. I think we're too caught up on being able to say certain phrases and believing certain things, things that we don't even really know what they mean. I mean, I I think you've expressed really beautifully all the different ways in which we might have a testimony of the Book of Mormon. We might have a testimony uh, that God speaks to us through it. We might have a testimony that it is a translation. We might have a testimony that it's a literal translation that, that Joseph doesn't insert himself at all. We might have a testimony that it's perfect. There's no errors in it. We might have a testimony that uh, it expresses um, the gospel better than any other book. I mean, there's, there's so many different ways we could think about what we mean when we say, I have a testimony um, that the Book of Mormon is true. And I just think it's really interesting that that's not actually what Moroni says we can have. He says that Christ will manifest the truth of it unto you by the power of the Holy Ghost. And I actually think what you've described is more dis- is is more in line with what, what Moroni is saying, that you're, in your experience, God has shown you the truth of certain principles. He's shown you the truth of the reality that he can speak to you through Scripture. He's shown you the truth of the idea of translation that resonates with you for some reason. But I just, I, I feel like we should be much more comfortable with testimonies like that. 
and that, that we should not feel there's anything that needs to be corrected. But I think you're right. We, we live in this culture where you probably are right. You're going to get calls and I might too. <laughs> and, 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 but I just think that uh, to me, the power of the Book of Mormon is in the power that it has to drive me to live by true principles. And um, I really believe that when God judges me, that's what he's going to look at. He's not going to say, okay, now, this is how the translation process worked. This is how this is the historical sense in which the Book of Mormon was or was not true. Did you believe that? I just don't think he cares. I, I and and to me, that realization has just freed me from this burden of trying to figure out the exact way to think about the Book of Mormon, and gotten me focused instead on what am I doing? Moroni says these things that are incredibly insightful into my sins. What am I going to do about it? And and I love that. And I really appreciate you sharing that with us. Yeah, thank you. Welcome. I hope it made sense or will make sense in the light of day. I think it made great sense. I think it was the only thing anyone has said that makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what I would say is that this studying the Book of Mormon with all of you has reinforced my testimony of my Savior. And really, in some ways, refocused how I feel about my church. Awesome. In a good way? <laughs> yeah, hopefully, right? In, in the sense that there's a lot of work to be done. <laughs> <laughs> so not in a good way. We harshed your buzz. No, in the sense that I, I feel like, you know, with the New Testament, I've always sort of escaped um a certain degree of complicity um within my faith because if there was a tension between the new testament and the church then it could be because the new testament may have been translated incorrectly but reading the book of mormon just keeps reinforcing principles that i feel like we're just not doing great on <laughs> and I, I don't think we read it very well. I don't. I wish we had more of an educational opportunity. I wish people were reading it more critically. I just feel like there's a lot of work to be done. And I don't see that as a bad thing. To me, that's exciting. I understand that to many people that will sound like a bad thing, and that's <laughs> all right. Um, you can continue not doing anything. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not going to come into your house and make you do a thing. And maybe that's not going to fit into the podcast, but that's that's the answer I have, is it was very galvanizing. Oh, good. I think that fits great. It's, 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 uh, that's pretty similar to my experience in some ways, actually. Well, this has been a fantastic discussion. I've enjoyed discussing the Book of Mormon with all of you. Thank you to our listeners for joining us for Season 2. Thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. Adios. Thank you for joining us. This was the third hour, a Latter-day Saint Homesteady podcast. If you felt any impressions or had any comments, we would love to hear them at thethirdhourpodcast.com. We'll see you next time.